When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Packmaster Rafter Basham, MD. Josh Basham. And Mike Molina. We'll be right back. Kick things off. Hour three, Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. You know, I'm really hoping something didn't happen, that somebody did this, and it didn't happen by itself. But I was looking to my left, and I'm looking over at Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump bobbleheads. I look to my right, and Jesus has moved about a foot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really hoping that you moved that, Melina. Thank God. No, I moved him. Because where it was, it was amongst some wires, and Jesus couldn't dance. Yeah. Jesus could not dance. Jesus can dance where he is now. Now, does this does this snap up? Is that what happens? <laughs> no, that'd be the hopping Jesus, not the. Whoops! Sorry, Jesus. Oh, the lady just knocked Jesus down. Oh, so he does that. Jesus is rocking and rolling. Good for him. It's a good thing. I'm sure Jesus was a very nice guy. Don't you think? Great guy. He'd be laughing right now. Yeah, Jesus would be laughing. I, 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 I look. I think that uh, they had the, the the people that were that have expressed like like Buddha, like Jesus. I think they had a good sense of humor. Yeah, they laughed once in a while, and they weren't all serious the way so many people put them uh, the light they put them in. I, I couldn't agree more. They're fun I think people. Right. I think you're absolutely right. And my favorite poster of all time was a split screen 
uh, an NFL player uh, on one knee praying in the end zone, thanking Jesus for a touchdown. And then the other part of the split screen is Jesus was a feet up watching hockey. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best of all time. Jesus is a hockey fan. You can pray all you want. You can do whatever you want, but sorry, I'm watching hockey. I'm busy right now. Some random facts for your Tuesday. Veggie burgers were invented at roughly the same time as hamburgers. They both show up in cookbooks from the late 1800s. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I had no idea veggie burgers were invented at the same time hamburgers were. I wonder if they tasted just as bad back then as they do now. <laughs> yeah, they're not the best in the world. Alex tells me there's one kind that's really good. Boca burgers or something. Uh, I don't know. I think Bill Clinton was lying about that. Oh, I love Boca burgers. Yeah, sure you do. Mm-hmm. There's a guy I still don't understand. He's worth $5 billion now. His oh. foundation is worth $5 wow. billion. Dollars. How many women did he violate in his life, and he got away with it 100%? Five, How did that happen? Like $5 billion. There's $5 billion in the, in the Clinton Foundation account. And I wonder what their total income, both of them, what their total income has been. Oh, God. Has it been $20 million? I mean, it, you, you know, being president, yeah. being secretary yeah. of state, they right. were attorneys for all they did work. Right. But most of the time, they've been in public service, and it's not that's not a high paying job. It's not a five billion dollar, no. you know, career job. No, so. it's all it's a lot of it. Well, I think at least twenty percent of it is is Saudi money. <sighs> at least twenty percent of it. They gave them at least a billion dollars, probably more. But um, I just. If you're Bill Clinton, you got to be walking around thinking, I could do whatever I, I wish to anyone I wish because no one can touch me. He's untouchable. That's right. That's right. It's amazing. It is, uh, I don't know, like I said. Uh, the best way I can explain my politics for new listeners is I am not a Hillary supporter or a Trump supporter, and I'm not a Hillary detractor or a Trump detractor. I don't care about either one of them. They both have deep, deep flaws. First of all, our president should get the hell off of Twitter. It's like, would you stop tweeting everything? But he does it just to annoy people. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If it, if that, if, the, if that Twitter stuff got under Kim Jong Un's skin, I know. You know you're that, right. If the re- the Twitter rhetoric got underneath their skin, you're you know, right. I, you know, and, and what part? What part of this whole package? You know, if it comes to fruition and there's something that moves there, and it may not, and I have no huge faith that there will, but if, if, if something moves there, you know, what part of this this uh, package that Trump has put forward is did it? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Was it Twitter? Probably not, but there's a thousand other things. But I can just see Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. <laughs> Kim Jong-un, he's got, he's got his, he's got his, he's got his, what, you know, you know, Trump tweets something and he probably has an alias. He Trump, he's tweeting back. And yeah, Twitter. I know. Well, I tell you what, it didn't really help that they blew up their own nuclear program accidentally. I don't mm-hmm. think it helped North Korea a whole lot. Yeah. In the argument saying, no, we're going to come after you. Like, well, you just blew up your own nuclear program. So you got problems. That's all I know. Yeah. Uh, wasabi was originally eaten with sushi to kill bacteria, not for its flavor. That's not necessary now with modern sanitary conditions, but people still eat the wasabi out of habit. Hmm. When you eat sushi, do you eat the? Do you put wasabi on it? Lots of it. Yeah, I do. Lots of it. Yep. You do, particularly with tuna. A tuna, it goes exceptionally well. But the yeah. best thing, the best thing, is fresh wasabi. And even though they charge dear for it, the fresh wasabi is far better than the reconstituted stuff that most most uh, you know. Uh, Garden variety sushi places will have fresh wasabi. There is nothing like it. It tastes yeah, it like a good. vegetal taste. Does not have as heavy a uh, astringency to it because it hasn't sat around or sit around, sat around, sat that's, around. Yeah, it's not sat around. Well, Ralph, do you recall a couple of weeks ago we were talking about jackass? Yeah, and our <laughs> and uh, our buddy Steve-O. Did you ever see that one where he put wasabi up his nose? Oh, oh. Yes. <laughs> man, he snorted the wasabi. Yeah. Snorted it. Oh, yeah. yeah, man, that didn't come out no. well. I wouldn't think that would come out well at all. Uh, um, why, you know, because Josh has his California roll. Why isn't there a Minnesota roll? What's the problem here? You got to. We need a Minnesota roll. I mean, and maybe some of the places here have them. Maybe they do. Yeah, maybe. They what do. would you put in it? Walleye. A little walleye. Or a couple in of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, a couple of cigarettes would be good. I was watching. You know, remember the show Beyond Belief? It was a Dick Clark production. It was. On, I don't remember what channel it was on, but yeah, it was like they would. They would do these little vignettes, and then you had to guess if they were fake or real or whatever. So there was one, a guy in Los Angeles is doing weather reports, 
and they're so boring because the weather's always the same that he's going to get fired. So he starts inventing <laughs> these weather reports like tornadoes and all that stuff. But at one point, he goes into his boss and goes, I just don't understand why, why you'd even think of firing me because the ratings are down. I mean, this is Los Angeles. The weather's always the same. You want bad weather? Move to Minnesota. <laughs> Honestly, God, he said that in a nationally broadcast show. You want bad weather? Move to Minnesota. <laughs> like, thanks. I wonder what the weather was like in La Jolla. Look, shut up, Felina. Oh, oh, You're fired. Hey, whoa. <laughs> Friday's your last oh, day, no. buddy. No sense of respect. Uh, what that's all about, Josh, is that uh, as an 18-year-old, my first night on KSTP 1500, um, I was reading, I'm 18. I live in North Minneapolis, right? So I said that apparently there was a a mild earthquake in La Jolla, California. So Melina loves to just shove that down my throat. I appreciate that. But I was lucky because Charlie Bush, uh, just after I said it, said it's actually pronounced La Jolla. So I went back on the air and I said, Charlie Bush said it's La Jolla. (laughs) So there you go. That's excellent. I didn't, I'd never heard of La Jolla, California. Why would I, I heard of San Diego. I heard of Los Angeles, but I'd never heard of La Jolla. It's a, it's a wealthy California. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Although I will say, I was once on a trip with a friend of mine. We were going to uh, La Costa. Uh, we're going to La Costa. Hang on. It, what, that's uh, what? Ontario Airport there, John Wayne Airport. Uh, but as we're going down the road, he goes, why do all those signs say sin on them? All the signs say sin. I said, that's short for canyon. <laughs> he thought it was, a, you know, there's like uh, Beaker Sin. What, what is Beaker Sin? No, it's Beaker Canyon. Okay, it's not sin. So, you know, hey, we make mistakes, right? If we're not familiar with the vernacular, then we make mistakes. Well, to your credit, though, all, all the signs in, in L.A. are pretty confusing. Lots of different, lang- lots of different languages. Yeah, that's true. That's well, very it's like true. our local weatherman who said it's a great day to go for a walk around Lake Minnetonka. That was fantastic. <laughs> God, what a beautiful day to take a walk around Lake Minnetonka. Well, you better get started. Because <laughs> if you're going to go into all the little Bay Area, it's 550 miles total, isn't it? Or more. I think it's more. It might even be more than 550 miles. You better get started now because it's going to be frozen pretty soon. <laughs> you better you know, kick into high gear. Take a walk around Lake Minnetonka. Yeah, let's get that done. I wonder what he thought. Well, he just didn't, uh, whatever. Okay, we're going to see a little test of intelligence at the table here. Two Bashams and a fired Molina's last day of Friday. Now, <laughs> three o'clock, he's fired. Um, what is the name for a group of ferrets? Because we know it's a it's a what is it of crows again? A, a, a murder of crows. A murder of crows. So what is it? What is the name for a group of ferrets? I would never have guessed this, by the well, way. Well, you know, they're 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 you know they're sort of a devious kind of an animal. Yeah, oh, that's you know, part, uh, and, they're, like and, they're, and they're very violent again uh, to each other and to other animals. Uh, it would be called a mafia. A ma- well, <laughs> you might accept that as part of the answer. A name for the name for a group of ferrets is a business. A business of ferrets. A business business of ferrets. A what kind of ferrets? A business. business. I almost said business, man. <laughs> I almost went back to North Minneapolis with Steve Harvey. That's one thing I love about Steve Harvey. He'll be talking to somebody and I go, like, let's say you were black. Yeah. No. So I talked to Malia and I go, So how's everything going with you today? Everything going pretty well? How about you? <laughs> he does do that. Well, he does. Absolutely he does. does. He also changes. So does uh, Oprah Winfrey. She does that too. Oh, she gets eth- she gets ethnic whenever. Yes. Oh, good for her. Whenever it's opportunistic, well, there's a, I, there's some opportunity. It's hilarious though. People do that all. But I will tell you this: I ran into a guy a couple of days ago, and he was a white guy. I mean, he was a hundred percent white guy. I don't know what he was, but he was a white guy. But he's wearing a bandana, and as I walk by him, I go, "Hello, how you doing today?" Well, not too bad, man. Everything going pretty good. How you doing? I'm like, where the hell did that come from? I'm like, what? Pardon me, there. You know, whatever. But he just uh, he identifies as he identifies. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. But I, I don't know. I've I've never seen a black man wearing a bandana, so I don't understand where that part came in. Maybe uh, it, it happened. Maybe well, football players do, I suppose. 
I didn't, suppose some NFL players wear bandanas. And didn't some of the rappers, they, they wore it around? Was it a slave kind of a thing? Maybe? Yeah, that's right. Tupac. Tupac did that for a while. That is very true. MASH was set during the Korean War and lasted almost four times longer on TV than the Korean War itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great piece of information. MASH, the Korean War, lasted 11 years rather than three years in reality. Although the record for the Korean War is not three years or 11 years. What is the record for the Korean War? Well, it just ended, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely it did. <laughs> well, no, yeah, it hasn't yet. It has. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they, they declared signed, an end. Yeah. They declared it. They declared an end to the Korean War. No, it was about a week ago. Yeah, whenever they met at the DMZ zone. They signed that. They declared an end to the Korean War after, what, 53 (laughs) years or 63 years, whatever it's been. I didn't didn't realize they actually signed the treaty. (laughs) Yeah, apparently they did. That's what they claimed to have signed it anyway. They said the Korean War is over in 2018. (laughs) It started in, what, 52? 50, I think. 1950. 1950 to 53? Yep. I can't believe that. That, that, that that's over. And, and sixty-eight I, years later, <laughs> or sixty-five years later, I think it's hilarious. You know, there's a there's a hike in California. You can actually go hike to the the old Mash set. Oh, you can. Yeah, they got a bunch oh, of the trucks cool. and some of the scenes that that they filmed up there was often one of the ranches over in the Santa Monica Mountains. You know, if Manson were still alive, you could go up there and kill people. Yeah. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> Wasn't that a, that was an old movie set, right? That he lived in. Yeah. All of his followers. What was that? What was the name of that ranch again? You cannot remember the ranch, but it was they filmed not a Neverland. lot of. No, it's not Neverland. That was Michael Jackson. <laughs> That's there. That was Michael Jackson. My favorite still is once in a while Dwayne will throw it in. Michael Jackson's name comes up. He always plays that one. Michael Jackson going. The Jews do it on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And once again, he never paid the price for that. He said the Jews do it on purpose, and no one ever even brought it up to him. What the hell is that? I know. Why wouldn't wouldn't they challenge him on that? Yeah, you're right. Why are there different rules for for certain people? You know, was that back when social media was around? Mm, Was it sort of pre? You might be right. That might have been pre. Social media has changed everything. It's easy to get a gang of people that can just, you know, a small amount of people on social media can really drum up quite a amount of trouble. I'll be honest with you. I had no idea until social media got big that I was such a prick. I, <laughs> I, I knew that, you know, I had a certain leaning, but I didn't know I mean, until it actually broke as a national story. Uh, you know, but I learned something. So that's good. I guess anytime you learn something from anything, it's a good thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. There are more tigers in Americans' backyards than in the wild. Did you know that? Americans with tigers in their backyard. There are only 3,200 tigers in the wild and more than 4,000 kept as exotic pets. Well, didn't a high school graduation, they just had a tiger in a cage. And they got in a lot of trouble for this. So what do you think you're doing putting a, bringing a caged tiger to a high school graduation ceremony? There are 4,000 people that have tigers? That's what it says. 4,000 kept as exotic yeah. pets. Didn't Mike Tyson have one in Vegas? Yes, he did. Yeah. He absolutely did. <laughs> yeah, remember the hangover. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right in the hangover. We'll be back. Part two of Hour 3 right after this Tom Bernard Show. Did you know that about 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery or clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855 855- 554-2020 to RSVP today. That's 855-554-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan, and now you can find out how to have success losing weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth, just like me, at their free informational dinner on Monday, May 21st, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. 
Those unwanted pounds will melt away really fast. I lost over 40 pounds at Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth after being educated on clean eating, finding out what foods my body prefers, and I now know the foods that are weight gain triggers. As I've said over and over again, the Nutrimost weight loss plan is so easy, they guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life. And I know they can help you, too. Call now to register for the Nutrimost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on May 21st. To register, call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. It's Eye of the tiger in your backyard and 4,000 American households. <laughs> now we're talking. Uh, this next story is for you, Melina. How tall are you? 6'4". Six, 6'4". Four. Six, four. And how much do you weigh now? Uh, 230. That's pretty good. I mean, that's like real good for you, isn't it? I think so. Well, what is Trump? He's like 6'2 and 239. Yeah, which he's actually probably about 270. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's 339. <laughs> 339. Oh. 339. He's 339. So you had six four two thirty. Yep. So that's pretty sizable. Okay. Do you think that short man syndrome is real? Yes. Yeah, that took him a long time, didn't it? <laughs> that's funny because I wanted to ask you that six four two hundred thirty pounds. Short men have it pretty easy in life, so it's time to knock them down a peg if pegs that low even exist. That's really cold. That's really cold that's at the wire. That's cold. I did not invent that. I just read it right off the complete sheet. Uh, a new study out of the Netherlands found that short man syndrome really does exist. The researchers found that guys under five foot seven would act more aggressively in social experiments than other men who were taller. So what does it mean? The researchers say it's biologically ingrained in short men to be more aggressive when they can and grab whatever resources they can because they might have fewer chances to get them. But nowadays, you think that's true nowadays? They're, they're saying it's genetic. They're, it's... Because they say it's a, they are they saying it's genetic. That's it's exactly biologic. Right. Oh man! Yeah, absolutely. But they hmm. should rename. They should rena- rename the uh, that syndrome. They can't shouldn't say short man syndrome. It's offensive to short man. They should call it the Pesci syndrome. The Pesci syndrome. <laughs> I like it. He's about five one, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, and that's his whole character. His whole character is that you know striking out and there's and no doubt about that. Yeah, that is definitely the Pesci syndrome. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, the most common ways people screw up on the first day at a new job. I'd like to screw up. They're late. Yeah, they're late. Yeah. Which that'd be Andy. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I was late. Did Don't. You? That's right. If you're late on your first day, it was your first day here. That's right. Show them the door. <laughs> Don't worry if you screw up on your first day at a new job. I'm sure your career will recover. First impressions are not that big a deal. Wait, what's that? Hmm. They actually are a huge deal and you're screwed forever? Oh, well, good one. Uh, According to a new survey, almost half of people say they've screwed up on the first day at a new job. And here are the 10 most common ways. They learned someone's name and then immediately forgot it. (laughs) And my hand just went up. Sorry, but everybody. You learn someone's name and then you immediately forget what their name is. That is the hardest thing. And then, the, then the, uh, and the key is, oh, think of something that, that that's unique to them. Think of some clue. Yep. And I can't remember the clue. Nope. So One of my favorite stories, and I told it this morning on the KQ Morning Show, was I knew a guy named Buddy. I won't give his last name, but I knew a guy named Buddy. Didn't know him well. Just to say hello and, you know, check in, see how you're doing, talk to him a little bit. So he wasn't like a friend, but he was an acquaintance, right? Well, I used to run into Buddy about three times a week for 10 to 12 years. Okay, so that's quite often. 10 to 12 years, I used to run into about three days a week. And for 12 years, every time I saw Buddy, he'd go, How you doing, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) And I just let it go. Right? I just let it go. Uh. And as a joke on my locker... Somebody put up Tom Brunansky instead of Tom Bernard. They put up Tom Brunansky. He used to be a player with the Twins, if you don't know who that is. But uh, apparently Buddy went into the locker room one day and came out and he went, You're not Tom Brunansky. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, Steve. Uh, <laughs> Settle Steve. down. He called me Steve for 12 years. It was, and I wasn't going to tell him. He was like, eh. I think I told him like the first four times. <laughs> My name is actually Tom. It's not Steve. At the fifth time, I was like, yeah, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Great to see Because your name would be everywhere, though. Like, I mean, this is bad. Was this KQ? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, it, was, it was 1989. Is when I first met him. So, yeah, the show had been on the air for like four years already. And he thought my name was Steve. You know, you sound like that guy on the radio. Yeah, yeah exactly. you look just like him, too, that Tom guy. I think his last name might be Bernanski. I'm not sure. He worked at the station and wasn't listening. Yeah. Oh, man. It's phenomenal. It was a, no, he was a, some kind of like a diamond dealer or something. Uh, I mean, um, he was the kind of guy that would all of a sudden, hey, where's Buddy? Oh, he chartered a private jet. He felt like gambling, so he went to Vegas. I'm like, oh, okay. Apparently the diamond business is pretty good. Is the diamond business still as good as it was? Because now, from what I understand, they can manufacture diamonds that are as good, if not better, than real diamonds. But it's big? Uh, yeah, they can make them whatever size. And apparently you cannot tell, uh, a gemologist cannot tell if it's a real diamond or not. Huh. So yeah. I th- what I th- value do they have? I think you're right. The, the only way they can identify it is with the... Um the inscription or the laser etched yes. code on it, whether it's a real diamond or not. Isn't that amazing? We can so, laser etch a code on anything. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. Okay, back to the 10 most common ways people screw up. So, yes, we've all learned someone's name and then immediately forgot what their name was. Okay, Steve, let's move on. <laughs> let's go, Steve. They got someone's name wrong. Well, there it is again, buddy. You're uh, back on the list. They said something stupid because of their nerves. Probably, yeah, probably yeah. done that. They w- they went to the wrong place. <laughs> well, uh, people know this that I I have not gone to the KQ studios now for fifteen years. I can only take so much radio. I don't I can't be there and stay in radio. I just can't do it. People are too weird. I just can't get it done. Well, there's a culture, there's a definite culture too. Oh, there's the radio. No, there's no doubt about it. So they called me and said, "Hey, could you meet us at the station later on today?" This was about probably 10 years ago, so I hadn't been in in five years or whatever. Um, you've been over to the KQ building, right? Yeah. yeah. You notice the other buildings in the area look exactly like it? <laughs> I went to the wrong building. <laughs> uh, you know, other than that, uh, that was a little embarrassing. But um, here's, I love this. They showed up way too overdressed. <laughs> okay, so if you're a, Somebody told me a story this morning, as a matter of fact, about somebody that showed up at work as a what the hell um mordahl told me the guy was working like an oil rig or something and he showed up wearing a white suit <laughs> what where did, you think, <laughs> where did you think you were going you're wearing a white suit to an oil rig or it was something it was something like that that reminds me of stepbrothers they're interviewing for jobs and they wear tuxedos for a janitorial job <laughs> well there you go uh, right here yeah they showed up way too overdressed <laughs> They had to have something simple explained several times. Yeah, you don't want to. That's something I cannot do. Once again, I got a four beat. I got the, this is your job. Do your job. Do your effing job. Remember when you used to work? That's all I can do. I can do four beats. That's all I got in me. It's, you know, and I, like I said, I don't fire people. I don't hire people. I just can't work with you. Just go work somewhere else. Go to the other side of the building and work over there. Yeah, you got three. You got three more days, Mike. So is it going to yeah. be tomorrow's going to yeah. be? This, this, oh yeah, that's right. This is your job. Today is this yeah. is your job. Tomorrow is to be do your damn job. <laughs> Thursday is do your effing job. Hey, remember you used to work here on Friday? It'll be fantastic. It'll be wonderful. They had to have something simple explained several times. They showed up late because of traffic. Not an excuse. There's no excuse, especially if you're a morning guy and you go to work at four in the morning. It's really hard to convince somebody that traffic held you up. Uh, really hard. They put their foot in their mouth during a conversation. Well, what does that mean, though? I mean, well, how, like, how would you do that? It's like saying something when you're nervous. I mean, it's, they, they, they reused one. They reused yeah. one this time. Yeah. So we only got nine. They no, they, re- they did. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, they showed up way too underdressed, so that's good. You're a waiter and you show up wearing, like, uh, the assless chaps. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be the route to take, right? The wrong bar. Oh, and I've seen people do this, and it was not a good one. I will never forget to set the cue. Uh, I can't really reveal what it said in the email, but they sent, they accidentally sent an email to the entire company. 
Oh, not a good plan. Uh, it was something like, look at the jugs on her. You know, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Get off my computer. I don't even want you on my computer. Go away. Leave me alone. Right? That's right. Oh. Those are all pretty accurate, though, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would think so. What do you guys think of this sports betting deal? Are you, you know, first of all, I don't really understand how it's, again, the, 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 the federal government's business, whether you do sports betting or not. How is it their business? They'll, I would assume they'll probably get income tax out of it yeah. if you win at a sports bet. They just want their cut. That's all. That's it. No, but no, why did they ban it? Then? We call that the juice. They want their juice. They want the juice. <laughs> they want That's their right. juice. The juice do it on purpose. Yeah. But, anyway, so, but why would they? Were they so in the sack with Vegas that I mean, because the only place you can do legal sports betting right now is in Nevada. That is it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. They must have been in the sack with uh, Nevada big time. So, again, let's go talk about the Corleones and Godfather Part 2, because that's what that yeah. whole thing was yep. about. Because uh, I don't, even though they're a sovereign nation, can you sports bet at, at, an, at an Indian casino or a Native American casino? I don't know. Do they have sports books? I haven't been, I've, I've not I been. I don't think so. I've not been to it, and I'm going to use the word Indian casino. Yeah, it's Indian, Native American. It's, it's I, sovereign land. That's it's a right. sovereign I've never nation. Been, I've, been to, I've never been to one of their casinos. I just don't know if they have a sports book. They should be able to. Why not? You know what? I think you're right. I don't. In I don't California, think, I don't think they have sports books. I don't think so. I think you can do, like, uh, fantasy football, but that's not sports betting. No. That's just a, a game. It's like betting on a game. So that's not sports betting, even though it is using sports as their yeah. criteria or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But the, the sovereign nation should be able to do whatever they want. I would think so, yeah. You know. I would think so. I, one of my favorite sovereign nation stories is I went to a car dealership. It was not a Walzer dealership. This was many years ago. And there was a uh, Rolls-Royce Phantom, a brand-new Rolls-Royce Phantom, sitting there. I said, holy God, whose car is that? He goes, well, I can't really tell you. I said, well... Why not? I'm not going to do it on the air. He goes, well, you can't do this on the air. Okay, so now I'm doing it on the air. <laughs> that was many, many years ago. So he said, it's uh, uh, a guy from a sovereign nation. I said, really? Uh, how old's the guy? He said, he's 18. I said, he's 18? He goes, yeah, he just turned 18 uh, several months ago. And I said, so he just bought this car? And he goes, nope, it's been sitting here for three, four months. He hasn't bothered to pick it up yet. <laughs> A $600,000 car, and he doesn't bother to pick it up. That's pretty impressive cash flow right there. Well, it's like the other Native American person that uh, a buddy of yours was friends with who was serving life, and he had his jail bank account. Well, he was, yeah, my my friend was in prison with him. Okay. That's uh, how that one goes. You know, when you grow up in North Minneapolis, you're going to know some inmates. I just (laughs) tell you flat out. Yeah, there's a guy, there's a guy in an institution in Minnesota. Who uh, he's in for double life, so he's never getting out. And he, you know, he he's from a sovereign nation, and he has, you know, he have your little uh, um, like most guys have twenty, thirty bucks yeah. in their account. <laughs> They're like a canteen account, they call it, right? <laughs> so you have twenty, thirty bucks in there, so you can buy a bag of chips or a soda, whatever you want. This guy in his canteen account has seven and a half million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Andy did the math on how many Lay's you could buy. Yeah, how many, Lay's, how many bags of Lay's potato chips you could buy for 17 or seven seven and a half million dollars. But, you know, it's his money. They got to give him the money. And, I, and I, it's not that they don't want to give him the money. They just give him his money. But the only place they can put it is in the cantina. <laughs> so it's just sitting there. Seven and a half million dollars. That's pretty impressive, don't you think? Yeah. What, wonder what will happen to that when he when he when he passes. I don't. That's interesting. I was just thinking about that very same thing. It's like, well, what are they going to do with the money when he when he dies? Fritos for everybody. Fritos for everybody, man. There's no question about it. I suppose. Um, well, did you see that news on Prince? The federal government is going to collect 150 million dollars from Prince's estate because he didn't have a will. Holy cow. $150 million, which is, uh, what, uh, I think 40% of, of his of his money. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I love that sound, by the way. Seriously, that most often I would say that sounds annoying, but it's really not that annoying. 
Do you, I mean, do you think you don't find that annoying, do you? No, I don't either. Um, here, let me let me move this over here because it was sent to a different. You can just unplug it. Will it will it last for 15 minutes unplugged? Uh, I mean, from here. Don't want to risk it, but yeah, it should be good. Oh, it sounds like Andy. <laughs> I don't want to risk it. And that's you know generally. Uh, is Sally on the phone? Yeah. Sally. You know, I, I think I heard her disconnect. Oh, okay. And now your and now your commercial your your screen just went dead. So I'm just going to talk to Sally. You can you can have that. But we'll come back and we'll get Sally on the phone. The uh, documentary is called Hillbilly, and if we can't get a hold of Sally, we'll just talk about Hillbilly anyway. Yeah. So that'll be fine. We will be right back in a couple of minutes. Tom Bernard Show. Chris Lindahl's here. Talk about people wanting to sell their homes, but uh, the problem is they don't know where they're going to go. That's right. Yeah, the biggest challenge right now is you know you can sell your house and you can sell your house for more money with the Chris Lindahl team. The issue is is where are you going to go? You know, are you going to move in with your parents, your grandparents? Are you going to have a hotel? townhome for temporary housing, or are you going to move in with Tom? Well, they're not going to move in with me. They might move in with Chris, though, ladies and gentlemen. That's K-R-I-S, by the way. We have to reach right out to them. Where are they going to go? Yeah, so we have a you-don't-have-to-move-twice guarantee yeah, like where there's, there's five steps that we take at the Chris Lindahl team where we put those things in your contract when we represent you so that you're protected so you don't move twice. You're in control because you're the seller, and when you find a property, then you sell. It's a wonderful thing. So you've got the answer. I have the answer. Here we go. <laughs> That's why they're America's number one REMAX results team. We'll give the first five callers a free copy of Chris's number one best-selling book, Sold, chrislindahl.com, or you can call 763-401-SOLD. I remember when my older brother came home from Vietnam and how proud I was to be seen with him in uniform. I'm a huge supporter of our military men and women and always have been. I've also got a soft spot for women and children. Lincoln said in his second inaugural speech that we should take care of the wounded and care for the widows and orphans. That's exactly what the Gold Star Ride Foundation does. This summer, the Gold Star Ride Foundation will travel across the country visiting Gold Star families on an ambitious adventure to help those families and remind them they are not forgotten. I made a commitment to help this organization just like Weston Choppers, Northlight Color, and Print Media Minnesota, and you should too. It's pretty easy to do. Just visit www.goldstarride.org and click the Donate button. Many of my listeners already have, and that's great, but let's not forget, we're all in this together. www.goldstarride.org. Today's a good day to do it. Be proud of our veterans and their families. Make a contribution today. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back on our special guest, Sally Rubin. How are you, Sally? It's okay if I call I'm you Sally? Absolutely. Okay, I wanted to make sure. You know, I was trying to make sure it's okay. <laughs> this could go with Ms. Rubin, could go with Sally Rubin. We'll go with Sally, though. Uh, <laughs> Hillbilly is a documentary film that examines the iconic hillbilly image in media and culture. The film, exp- you know, that you're absolutely right about that. There, there's only one iconic image, or just one image, flat out, of hillbillies in every American's mind, isn't there? Yep, it's not very nuanced. No, it's no, it's not nuanced at all. As a matter of fact, where did? Uh, well, I'll, I'll read the rest of the description here. The film explores more than a hundred years of media representation of mountain and rural people, and offers an urgent uh, exploration of how we see and think about rural America. So it's not just the, the Appalachians or anything. It's, it's a, is it all of rural America we consider to be hillbillies? I would say yes. Um, you know, we sort of started with a focus on the region of Appalachia just because that's where I think the stereotypes tend yeah. to be the worst coming from the outside. But we did pretty quickly decide we needed to move on and somewhat encompass all of the South and rural America. Um, you know, it's a that would be a very broad, sweeping film. So we try to stay as focused as we can. But we do touch on in the film how other regions, other rural regions, get that kind of hillbilly treatment and stereotype from urban America in particular. It's pretty interesting because looking back, as I grew up in, a, in, in an urban area, uh, in the inner city, 
And my first exposure to so-called hillbillies was on the Andy Griffith show. Yep. <laughs> I mean, was that show responsible for a lot of the ways that people see mountain people? Yeah, the Andy Griffith show, Hee Haw, Beverly Hillbillies <laughs> were a right. lot of shows in the 50s and 60s, Amos and Andy, that portrayed this very, as we say, unnuanced view. And then, of course, when Deliverance came out in the early 70s, I think oh, it, yeah. too, was largely responsible for a lot of the ways that most of America views rural people. You know what's really interesting to me, Sally, is the fact that if you are rural, um, you don't tend to like uh, metro people much, and metropolitan people don't mm-hmm. tend to like rural people much. But is that all changing now because, you know, obviously the access to things like social media and all the rest of it? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I live here in L.A. I'm from Boston originally. Um, I definitely see here in L.A. this sort of back-to-the-land intrigue that a lot of urban hipsters have. And I do think in part that's because of social media um, and magazines and widespread publications. You know, I read Sunset Magazine, Mm -hmm. which is, quote-unquote, the magazine of the West. And every issue is just chock full of these sort of urban, young urban folks um, camping in trailers and drinking PBR and wanting to kind of do the rural (laughs) lifestyle. So, yeah, I think there is something there. Drinking PBR. Could I re-reference and just ask you a question? Sure. You're from the Boston area. Where where in Boston did you grow up? I grew up in Newton. In, oh, in Newton, okay. Explain to me this, because I grew up a Catholic kid in uh, in uh, the inner city of Minneapolis. Went to St. Joseph's and St. Anne's schools. I've never understood Boston. I love Bostonians, by the way. I love the Boston area, everything about it, the colleges, all of it. It's magnificent to me. But explain to me, and by the way, two of my best friends are from Boston, so it's, mm. it's just how it is. Okay, you're Irish, you're Catholic, but you're a townie or a Southie. You're not the right kind of Irish. <laughs> like, right. What, is, what yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that phenomenon is definitely part of what I observed growing up. Yeah. I grew up in a middle-class Jewish neighborhood but went to public schools mixed in with working-class Irish and Italian folks, and we did call them townies, mushes. Southies were mostly the Irish folks from South Boston. There was this caste system and class system among our mainly white suburban population that definitely existed. And, you know, um, we looked down on them, and I think they looked down on us. So, yeah, even as a kid, I I noticed those differences there, and that that was just in the little microcosm of Boston. So is that part of this whole thing, Sally, the way that that we look at, you know, again, we look at rural people as hillbillies. Where I grew up, it was Catholic, Jews, and black people. And they built the freeway around the neighborhood so we couldn't get out. (laughs) I'm telling you. (laughs) So did that just, does that happen in all cultures and all societies? And it just happens that we look at hillbillies the way we do because of the earlier television shows you were talking about. Did we see hillbillies in the movies before that? Because those those shows started, you know, about the time I was born or even before I was born. Were there hillbillies portrayed in movies before that? There have been hillbillies going way back. Um, the Civil War largely was fought in the backyards oh, of Appalachia, and yeah. that sort of coinciding with the creation of the steam locomotive allowed people to go into the region and extract coal and um, just become much more aware of, of the region being there. And at that point, Appalachia really started showing up um, in, in the media of the day. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. The, the place has been around and the stereotypes have been around for a lot longer even than the creation of film. We do touch on that in the movie, and we also touch on the other thing you're talking about, which is this sort of um, this desire that all humans have to basically other, it's called othering other people, <laughs> and find somebody, anybody, whether it's urban, rural, rich, poor, someone of a different class, race, but somebody to look down on and pick on to help us make, feel, make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Yeah, you wouldn't notice that on social media at all today, that people love to look down on everyone else. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. No oh, way. Sally. Sally, it's just disgusting the way people will. 
here's the problem that I do have, and this is probably one of the reasons I like Bostonians so much, is because all the guys I know from Boston, I don't know a whole lot of women from Boston. I do, well, I do know a few women. Matter of fact, one of the women on this show is from Boston. But mm-hmm. uh, I love the fact on, on, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, everybody's a tough guy. You know, yeah. but not like a tough guy in Boston, because a tough guy in Boston is actually a tough guy. So it's a different deal, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why do you think it is that yeah. everybody wants to feel so superior or present themselves as superior on social media? Because it's you would think that, hey, we're all in this together now. We all have the same access. You don't have to be rich to be on social media. Um, why do we feel the need to feel superior to everyone else, whether it's, again, and if you want to call them hillbillies, they don't like city folk much and feel that they're they're better people than city folk are. What is that? I mean, I think that, um, you know, times are hard. It's tough to be human. Yeah. And it helps to turn on the TV and have somebody there to laugh at or if not laugh at be entertained by and yeah in some way feel like we have more than them um we're in some sort of privileged position and even if things may be tough with us money wise you know financially personally in any way at least we're not doing those things at least we're not in in that position i think that's the kind of phenomenon that so many of us experience there's a chapter in the film we call it it's called redneck reality which is those reality <laughs> shows that people i love are, are smash hits you know if you're a hollywood executive and you want a smash hit of a tv show you just get one of those on screen and you know it's going to take off so we look at that phenomenon in the movie and really look at um yeah, kind of what's going on there interpersonally when people are watching those shows. So it's it's interesting because I've talked about this. I, I in radio. I've been in radio my whole life since I was eighteen years old, and I've lived in Jacksonville, Florida, which is the deep south. It's not like the rest of Florida. It's it's the deep south. It really is. And I also worked in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I'm here to tell you, in e- neither of the towns could I understand what the hell these people were saying. I mean, their accents were they were so bizarre. They were speaking English, but not an English that I could recognize. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. that. And I do remember this. I'm one one of my first days in, in Grand Forks. I was uh, asking one of my coworkers for a pen. And now this will give Melina something to do. We can edit this out because this show goes on to several radio stations as an afternoon show. So he can edit it out before he he sends it along. Mm -hmm. But I was up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, one of my first days, and I asked one of the other radio announcers if he had a pen I can use, and he said the following. I don't have a pen, you Twin Cities asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? How how did that enter into it? I just asked if I could use a pen. You know, I was out out in Tennessee uh, uh, near Nashville for a wedding this last weekend. And, um, Sally, I'm out in California, too, in Los Angeles, but we were drove mm-hmm. about two hours outside of Nashville up into the, the hills and a beautiful lake over there. And we were parking, and there were some, some local folks there that worked down at the at the marina. And they said, hey, boys, where are you from? <laughs> and, and my buddy and I, uh, we said, oh, we're from, you know, we're from Los Angeles. They said, oh, okay. You guys got some guns with you? <laughs> oh, wow, we said, man. We said, we said, no, no. I said, well, you should probably get guns. We all have guns out here. We're carrying them now. They said, you got, you, and the next thing they said, I, I cracked up. They said, you boys wouldn't happen to be some of them Holly weird types, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I that we, we yeah. both cracked up and I, and they knew we knew they, they were teasing us, but everyone else was yeah. just so sweet out there. We, we couldn't have had a nicer experience. Yeah. That's definitely deliverance talking, and people yes. from the region yes. from Appalachia love to use that to, um, you know, to just just toy with urban folks a little bit, you know, because everybody's seen deliverance. It's such a huge cultural reference point, and especially for especially for guys being out in the yes. woods. It's true. It well, I would. Be, yeah. You know. It, yeah. Tom brought something up that was very interesting, and he said that he he was he you were in Jacksonville, then you were in Fargo, Fargo, mm-hmm. no, and, in Grand Forks. In Grand Forks, and in those areas, the dialect that they were speaking was something that was difficult to understand. And if you if you look at that, is it possible that you know we have we have a drift in language based on a drift in culture in America? 
where certain areas you have the, the, the you have hill people that you know your documentary is about that it talks about one set of culture, but then you have an urban culture of uh, people from Mexico, uh, people mm-hmm. uh, blacks in an urban culture. You have uh, certain areas in Los Angeles where well, if you go over to Glendale, all the signs are in Cyrillic. Yep. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. is it is it is it a natural thing to have segregation or to sort of a self-imposed segregation uh, based on your cultural differences? Gosh, I don't know. As you know, I'm not an anthropologist. I'm definitely someone who's observed people, though, and I do think that we we find comfort in being around and near people like us. Yeah. And I think in this, you know, on the more positive side, in this social media age, there's so much exposure to people who aren't like us and this curiosity right. that, I mean, I'm 40 years old growing up um, without the internet when I was a kid. I, we just didn't have that. You see it now in a way that um, you know, young people have this curiosity about the world that I think we we didn't have in our generation. That's how you sound like you're about 21. <laughs> um, <laughs> I teach college. I work with a lot of 21 year olds. Okay, so well, they rub off on <laughs> there you go, Sally. This is a great idea. How did, what inspired Hillbilly? Um. I had always been interested in class and race and um, yeah. and interested in these themes of othering and media representation. The thing that really got me into action wanting to make the film was back in 2013, actually. I don't know if you guys remember Orange is the New Black, that Netflix sure, show about absolutely. the women's prison. Absolutely. It was an amazing show, totally innovative, these, you know, butch lesbians on screen being badass and... Um, I mean, I loved the show. It was so popular. And then simultaneously on this, this innovative new show, you had that horribly stereotypical character of Pensatucky mm-hmm. who embodied every single stereotype that you can imagine when you think about hillbillies. She was anti-choice. She was violent. She was a meth addict. She <laughs> only had a couple teeth. She took advantage of welfare. Um, I just thought she was such a totally two-dimensional character and i just thought you know there's some there's some kind of hypocrisy here um where the same people who can put these innovative portrayals of people on screen think it's still totally fine to have this kind of hillbilly character so for me that was really the that was what what um got me going on the project it was great inspiration where can people see hillbilly um, well, this Saturday, it's premiering at the National Film Festival. It's the closing night movie. So that's going to be its first screening. We'll be out in San Francisco um, at the beginning of June at SF Doc Fest. And then eventually the film will be distributed online. Anyone who wants to be added to our mailing list or keep up with its release um, can go to hillbillymovie.com <laughs> and just contact us. We'll add you. All right, you Bostonian. Nice talking to you. All right. Thanks so much. Really <laughs> interesting to talk to you guys. Oh, Thank was you. Great, Sally. Thank you very much. Sally Rubin. Okay. Hillbilly, the name of the music, the name of the movie, excuse me. And we'll talk to you tomorrow, the second to last day for the fired Molina. He's out. That's all I know. <laughs> Tom Bernard Show.